All right, good morning, everybody. Nice to see you. Thank you, Drew. Good to be here with you. Kicking off a brand new teaching series called Back in Black, How to Rock Your Financial World. And, um, you know, people, they tend to say, hey, when things are going well, when you are saving more than you're losing, when you're making ground, you're in the black when, uh, you know, you're bleeding money, when you're not making a profit, when things are going the other way, they tend to say you're in the red. And so we want to talk about some biblical principles over the next several weeks that can help us live in the black financially and do well in our financial lives. Now, um, when it comes to money, uh, we tend to kind of have a couple different categories we could divide people in. We have, on the one hand, we have savers and we have spenders. How many of you are, are the spenders in the room? Go ahead, raise your hand, spenders, yeah. So you may not have any money in savings, but you are living your best life now. Come on, right? Like you. When you came in today, you, you, many of you received a little white paper bag and it, it had a little candy bar in it. You know, some of you already ate that. You're not supposed to eat that yet, spenders. Okay, that's the spenders. They're like, hey, candy bar, chomp. Yeah. No, hang on to that. We're going to get to that. Uh, others of you are savers. How, how many of you are savers? Let's, see, let's hear from the savers. All right, savers. You know, somebody calls you cheap, that's a compliment. Right, you appreciate that. You respect that, yes. And uh, savers, you, you didn't eat the candy bar. You've already been thinking about how you can sell that candy bar for a profit <laughs> later on. Here's a little guide if you're not sure where you fall. Uh, spenders tend to hide purchases. Some of you understand this, or hide cards. Hello, somebody. Uh, you know, they, they, they tend to hide that. But savers tend to hide money. You got money stashed away in a file cabinet or up in the attic or, you know, under the bed or whatever. I got, I got a friend. He's a saver and a prepper, if you know what I'm saying. And uh, if the end of the world happens, then he's got, like, all his cash set aside in his little safe. He can grab his cash. He's got, like, multiple gas cans filled up with gas so he can fill his beer. I mean, I'm going to his house. I already told him. I'm like, hey, bro, I'm just going to come to your house. Me and, me and all your spendy friends are going to be like, what's up? All right, here's another one. If you are a spender, spenders, when something breaks, they tend to say, hey, let's replace it, right? Like, it's a perfect time to upgrade this thing that's, that's broken. It's a, it's a perfect opportunity. But a saver will tend to say, hey, let's fix it. This is nothing that duct tape and WD-40 can't make work. Right, let's, let's fix this thing. We'll go, we'll go a lot longer. Okay, a spender, when it comes to food, they'll often say, hey, let's eat out. Right, a spender can go drop 200 bucks at the grocery store and then eat out for the next four days and not even think about it. We'll get to those groceries eventually, but what does the saver tend to say? The saver tends to say, hey, you know what? We have food at home. We're good. That's always the answer. We have food at home, even if it looks like this, a little piece of bread, some M&Ms, a little mustard thrown on there. We've got food at home. And so whether you are a saver or a spender or wherever you're at in between, I think we all know what it is to worry and stress about money and stuff in our lives. We live with so much worry in this area. If you're a saver, maybe you're worried about whether you're saving enough, whether there will be enough. Maybe you're worried about um, you know, financial pressures that you're facing and it never feels like there is enough. If you're a spender, um, maybe you're just worried because you have no idea what you have and where it went and where it's going or where it's coming from, right? Maybe you're, you're, you're stressing about, you're not even sure how you're gonna get through the end of this month. 
Money is the number one reason for divorce. Money is the number one reason couples fight. This is a huge, huge issue in all of our lives. And I wanna talk to you today about how we can push back against worry about money in our lives. And so Luke chapter 12, we're gonna bring this up on the screen. It's Jesus' words, and let's just sort of listen in to Jesus a little bit. When we get to the red word, I ask you to read that out loud here with me together. Jesus says, this is why I tell you not to what? Worry, not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear, so food, clothes, huge areas of our lives. He says, don't worry about whether you have enough. He says, for life is more than food and your body more than clothing. This is good. Jesus is saying, listen, you don't have to live in constant fear and pressure about all of these things related to everyday life. Um, you don't have to. And the thing about worry is if we worry, it doesn't really work. Have you noticed this? Like you can worry. Some of you came in here, you're, you're so stressed out. Some of us just need to take a deep breath, you know, and just sort of relax for a minute because we're carrying so much stress and so much pressure. But worry doesn't work. You get all worked up, but it doesn't change anything. Jesus later in this passage will say, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? You can't. Now, you can subtract some hours from your life by worrying. I'm convinced of that, right? Worry will shorten your life, there's no doubt. But it doesn't add anything to your life. It doesn't work. There is something we can do besides worry, and that is worship. And I want to suggest to you this. Worship is your weapon to fight against worry. Worship is your weapon to fight and push back against worry. And when I say worship, that means a lot of things. Yeah, it means when we come into church and we sing or, you know, you turn music on in your car and you sing and you, we, we call that worship, right? You're worshiping, you're singing to God, you're thinking about God. Also, when you pray, that's an act of worship. But have you thought about this? That fundamentally worship is kind of responding with all that I am to God for all that he is. Worship is sort of a whole lifestyle. And when I direct my thoughts and my life and my attention to God, when I worship, him with all that I am for all that he is. However that happens, that is how I can push back on worry in my life. So I want to share with you a few thoughts on how we can do that. First is this, to turn concern into action. To turn concern into action. Now we all have concerns. Uh, some of you, you're concerned right now about uh, your kids. You're concerned about your grandkids. Some of you are concerned about the nights and you know what's happening right now. And you know, is it is it going to be good? Is it going to be bad? I live with concern about the Cowboys uh, and uh, now the Raiders and now the Cowboys and the Raiders. What's going to happen when they play together? We have a lot of concerns. And it's okay to be concerned about things that you care about, right? Whatever you care about, you should be concerned about that, you know? It's okay to be concerned. Concerned about your health. Concerned about, you know, how you're looking right now. Concerned about whether that is gray coming in. Probably is. Okay to be concerned. And to the degree that our concern overlaps this other circle, which is our circle of control, that's a great place to be because you can do something about it right in here, right? You're concerned about um, the fact that you're hungry and you have control over that. You can go get lunch. You know, like that's a, that's a great thing. But the challenge with worry is when our concerns get projected out into this whole area that we cannot control. And we start, and that concern grows till it gets paralyzing. And so we, we walk around with all this worry about things like, like, you know, the global economy. Well, you can't control the global economy, right? You know, you, you worry about uh, somebody else in your life and, and them changing their behavior. And, and this one's a hard one to swallow, but you can't control someone else's behavior. 
frankly, we have a hard enough time we're about controlling our own behavior, right? You know, like, like you, you can't change another person. You can't control another person. And so, you know, we worry about that, even though we, can, we worry about the national debt. Okay, worried about that, but you can't control the national debt. But the good news when it comes to money is there are some things that we can do to grow our circle of control to sort of turn that concern that we have into action. For instance, you can't control the national economy, but you do have influence over your personal economy. You have a personal economy, right? And I would suggest it's probably way more important to you than the national economy. And there are some habits you can engage, some steps you can take, some disciplines you can learn, some principles you can employ that can help you with your own personal economy so that however the economy is doing out there, you are in a better place financially. There's some steps you can take for your family. You may not be able to control the national debt, but listen, you can control your own personal debt and your own personal debt situation. You can take some steps about that. You can grow your circle of control so that um, you have less stress and worry in your life when it comes to money. Now, you should have received a candy bar when you came in, and, um, or at least a white paper bag. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and grab that white paper bag, and there's a candy bar inside of it. Go ahead and pull it out. Uh, lots of people got different candy bars, but they all sort of represent uh, a specific aspect of our culture, just randomly, okay? You were not selected on purpose for the bar, the candy bar you received, okay? All right, here we go. Everybody, all right. All right, pull them out. Now, if you have a payday bar, I'm gonna ask you to stand up and just remain standing for just a moment. If you have a payday bar, just stand up. It's not a lot of you, but uh, go ahead, dig that out. We got a few people standing up over here. Thank you. Let's, all right, let's give it up for our payday people. The payday people. All right, you represent the top 2% of America. Remain standing just for a second. You represent the top 2% of America. You've handled your money really well. Good job. You are in a position where you're gonna be able to retire early. Some of you thought, I'll never hear these words again. I'm speaking them over you right now. Like, like you, you don't have debt. You've got money saved up. You are already a millionaire or close to being a millionaire in your life. You are in the top 2%. Way to go, payday people. Let's give it up for the payday people. All right, thank you. You guys can have a seat. All right, now let me ask my hundred granders. How many of you have a hundred grand bar? If you have a hundred grand bar, will you just stand up and uh, let's give it up for our hundred grand people? All right, just remain standing for a minute. If you have a hundred grand bar, just look around. You represent the top 10% in America, and so you've also done very well with your money. You may not be able to retire early, but you've got your debt under control, you've got money set aside, you position when you get to appropriate age, you'll be able to retire, like things are good for you, well done, 100 grand people, let's give it up for them, you guys can have a seat, awesome. All right, let's go to the other extreme now. How many of you got the zero bar? All right, stand up for me if you got the zero bar. Let's give it up for our zero people. All right. Again, this was random. Don't take this too serious, okay? People looking at me like, you gave me the zero bar. I, I didn't. It's just an illustration. All right, if you have a zero bar, you represent the bottom 16% in America. <laughs> and things are rough for you. It's been a hard year. You stress, 
You feel the pressure about money all the time. You've got uh, lots of debt. Listen, if you went to college, you're paying those student loans. If you have a car, you're paying those car payments. Uh, many of you have thousands of dollars in unsecured credit card debt that you're carrying. You don't know how you got here, but it is stressful, and there's a lot of pressure, and uh, it would take you a better part of a year to save $1,000. You have a zero bar. But the good news today is I gave you a full-size candy bar if you had a zero bar. Did you see that? I can give you one of those little payday bars. You got a full-size. The payday people can afford their own. You got, you got your own candy bar. So go ahead and sit down, and in just a minute, you can enjoy that. All right. Now, it does get a little worse than the, uh, than the zero bar, the atomic fireball. Any, just anybody got the atomic fire? All right, we got a few atomic fireballs over here. All right, atomic fireballs. Yeah, right. <laughs> Man, well done. Hey, you guys raise that. All right. If you got an atomic fireball, you represent the absolute bottom of society financially. It's atomic, man. It's nuclear. You thought the zero bar was bad? You represent what's below the zero bar. You're like the zero bar with thousands more debt hanging, hanging over you. This is ugly, this is bad, and that's why you have the atomic fireball. All right, all right, have a seat. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but most people still haven't stood up. And so if you have a crunch bar, I'm gonna ask you to go ahead and stand up. All the crunch people, stand up. Look at all these crunch people. All right. You represent the 70% of the American population. 70%. Um, which means you're feeling the crunch. Right? You're making pretty good money in that category, and, but even though you're making pretty good money, like at the end of the month, you don't have any money to show for it, right? You're not, you're not saving money, you're just making money. You're not even sure where it, where it all goes. You know, you've got debt hanging over you, got the pressure of that. You feel the crunch every week. You fight about money, you stress about money, you argue about money, and if you stay on this road, statistically, if you're in that 70% group, it's highly likely that when you get to retirement age, you will still feel the crunch, you'll still have to work, and you'll feel it the rest of your life. Aren't you glad you came to church today? That's the crunch bar, people. All right, everybody, have a seat. Enjoy your candy bar. Don't be mad at me, I'm just the messenger. So if you're in the bottom three groups, if you got an atomic fireball, or maybe forget what you got, if you are in the atomic category, or if, you got, if you're in the zero category, or if you're in the crunch category, I want you to know today that there is hope. And I believe that over the next several weeks, we're gonna talk about some principles that can really help you. But I wanna start by sharing with you what I think is one of the most powerful things that you can do in your personal financial life to help you experience peace. And I'm not just sharing this because it's a great thing. I'm sharing it out of personal experience. Uh, years ago, in fact, just after last service, I was talking to some old friends of mine from California who were here, and we were talking about what I'm about to share. They remember this time in my life, but I went through a season where, man, I was so incredibly stressed out about money. I, I, I credit cards, I was over, over my head in debt. I had all these things I felt like stacked against me. I wasn't sure how I was gonna dig out of the hole that we were in, and we weren't doing crazy things. It's not like I was out living La Vida Loca, like, woo! 
you know. I mean, I couldn't even look back and really point to anything significant like that. that this is just how it happens, right? All of a sudden, you wake up, you're like, I got these credit cards. I, got, I can't keep up with all these payments. I had three jobs, including a pastor. I was trying to kind of navigate all this stuff. And I always felt like I had an income problem. You know, like if I just had more money, I could kind of, you know, get all these bases covered, which is our temptation, I think, in life, wherever we're at, to just think if I have more money. What I learned in my own life was this, that, that I didn't have an income problem. Yes, it would have been nice to have made more money, but I didn't fundamentally have an income problem. I had a spending and a management problem. And I say that from this perspective. Many of you, if you're honest today, you could look back at a season in your life when you made a lot less money than you're making right now, right? But you still feel just as broke. And it may be that income isn't the problem. We, we always think, all the research shows this, all the polling shows this. Most of us think, if I just made 20% more. And they say that whether you make 20,000 a year or 200,000 a year. If I just made 20% more, then we'd be all right then we can cover everything, right? I would suggest if that's where you're at, you're like me. You, you might think you have an income problem. You might think you need a third job and a fourth job or whatever, but you may actually have a spending and a management problem. And until you get that issue resolved and worked out, you can make all the money in the world, but if you spend it all at the end of the month, you're just as broke, right? You're just as broke. So here's what I did. I came across a seminar offered by a guy named Dave Ramsey. I signed up for the seminar, and uh, not Dave in person, but like his videos and stuff. I signed up for the seminar, right? I went to the seminar. I, I went to every week. I think it's seven or eight weeks now. At the time, it was like 11, you know, 13. I don't know. It was forever. And I went to every week. I took notes, and I didn't just sort of attend. I actually did it. I just, I did everything Dave told me to do. I just went and did it in my life and applied it in my life. And um, I didn't do it for weeks, I did it for years. And what I've found is that that seminar, in many ways, was one of the most significant steps I ever took in my financial life to leading to long-term financial peace. It can change how you deal with money and resources. And so we're gonna bring a slide up because we're offering Financial Peace University right around the corner, beginning March 1st, uh, from 1 to 2 p.m., right here at the Henderson location, room 203. Um, you can register at our Central Church app. You can go to centralonline.tv slash FPU. Um, but I wanna encourage you, if you're feeling the crunch, if you're feeling the zero pain right now, if you feel like you're, you're living the life of the atomic fireball, I want you to know there's hope, but it's gonna take some work and some effort. And let me tell you something. Financial Peace University costs $109. Okay, that's a cost that they pass on to us, that we pass on to you. We don't, it's not like marked up, right? Childcare is included, childcare is free. But here's what we found. If you're not willing to put skin in the game, you're probably not gonna actually stick through it. It's hard enough that if you don't have something vested, right, that you'll drop out when it gets difficult. But here's what we found. We've taken hundreds of people through FPO over the years. Here's why I think it's so important. We've found, of all the people we've taken through, if you average out the difference FPU's made in their life over nine weeks, they've reported this back to us. On average, the average family pays off over $5,000 in debt in, nine, in a nine-week period, and they save $3,000. So I want you to think about this. Like, in a nine-week period, if you could be, if you could spend $109 and be positive almost $9,000, that's a good investment, right? 
You'll be surprised if you'll take that step in your life. Once you figure out where the money goes, how much control and movement many of you actually have. Here's what I found. The first thing Dave Ramsey's gonna ask you to do is figure out every single cent that you spend in a 30-day period. Every single penny. You're gonna have to write it down. If you've never done that, it's, it's revealing. It's eye-opening. You'll be like, man, I spent that much on coffee? And it doesn't work. I'm tired. It ain't doing it. You know, like... And then, and then why, that reveal, why that's so important is it reveals to you where you're at. Does anybody get to the end of the month like I have for years and you open up all the statements and you look at all the stuff and you're like, I don't know, man, where does it go? Like, like, you ever feel this way at the end? Like, where, where did it all go? Somebody's sieving off my account. They've, they've attached onto my account and they're just, they're just dripping me dry. And that somebody's often you. Anyway. Once you figure out where it's going, then you can start to control the flow of that and it can lead to greater peace in your life. Here's what I wanna encourage you with. Zechariah chapter four, verse 10. Do not despise these, what? Small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. You might feel overwhelmed financially in your life, but if you'll just take some small steps, God will rejoice to see that work begin. Maybe for some of you, it's just saying, I'm gonna be here the next three weeks. I'm gonna listen in and lean in and let some biblical principles seek into my life about money. Maybe for others of you, you say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna register for Financial Peace University. And by the way, if you're watching online, there is an online version, so you can hit Dave's website and get more information about that there. Um, make sure to check it out. Uh, maybe you're here today and maybe it's just you know about doing what you already know. Maybe you've already been through a lot of this. You're just not living it right now in your life and so you're feeling the stress and the pressure of that. Don't despise small beginnings. Turn that concern into action. Turn that concern into action. Here's another thought. Turn your worry into worship. Turn your worry into worship. You know, I have a hate-hate relationship with birds. Um, I know birds are beautiful and all that, but I hate a lot of them, and I'll tell you why. It's because every spring, uh, you know, my grass gets patchy. How many of you get, it drives you crazy when your grass gets patchy, right? I'm the only one, okay. You're like, Judd, you're in the desert, nobody cares about the grass. I care about my grass, people, I want it to look good. I go out, it's all patchy from the crabgrass or whatever before, and. So I'm always like replanting my grass, which to replant your grass, you go out with that grass seed and you, you, know, you spread it around and all that and you get it kind of all out in there and then you put a little dirt over the top you know, to sort of protect it, take care of it. You water it in and you get it all ready. And I'm telling you, I do this every year and it's like a homing beacon goes out thousands of miles to birds all over the valley and they, it's like hey dinner and they all like show up free meal Judd's got a free dinner and they all like plant down in my yard right and their little nasty beaks they're just like going after my little seeds you know and they're and it drives me crazy right I mean I, I've like I've, I've tarped the thing with the little holes just to let air in and stuff and I would you believe birds got on the tarp and started poking their little beaks down inside the deer. I'm like, this is insane. I can't. And so every time they eat every one of my seeds, right, drives me crazy and no grass grows. So I'll run out there because this stresses me out. You know, I did all this planting. I did all this work. I'm, I look out my window. I'm like, don't you. I'll start hitting the window, you know, like no movement. They, don't, they know it's the window. They're like, man, it ain't nothing. He just hitting the window. 
So I'll run out, clap my hands. <laughs> they fly like 10 feet, those little suckers, and they look right back at you like, what you gonna do? And do nothing. You're gonna go right back in, just like all you people do, and then we're gonna go right back to a free meal. That's what's about to happen here. Now think about these birds, and I think this is why Jesus brings these birds up. Check it out. Luke chapter 12, verse 24. It says, Jesus says, in the context of talking about worry, he says, look at the ravens. Could say, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for Judd feeds them. <laughs> See that? Wait. For God feeds them. Apparently, Judd is one of his servants in that process. And you are far more what? Valuable. You're far more valuable to him than any birds. Sometimes when you're stressed, you're worried, man, you just need to go find a park bench and sit down and just look at the birds. Just look at the birds. They may be a lot of things when they're driving me crazy in my yard, but they are not worried. They're not worried. How much more should we live without worry because we have a heavenly father who is watching our back, who cares for us? Have you ever thought of this? Incessant, continual worrying, which I'm tempted to do, which we're all tempted to do, which I cave to do many times in my life. That kind of worry at its core starts to call into question the sovereign rule of God in my life. Can you, can you imagine if your kid that you love and you care for and you provide for in every way in their life walks around with constant fear and worry that you're gonna let them starve, that you're gonna let them go without, that you're gonna let them, right? At some point, you pull your kid aside and you're like, hey, I'll worry about this. You enjoy your life, right? You're gonna grow up one day and have to get a job and then it's gonna be a whole different conversation. But right now, you're just a kid. I got you covered. I got your back. Isn't that what we do as parents? We don't want our kids to worry. Let that fall on me. And if my kid's constantly worried, at some point I get offended by that, you know? Or I get them psychological help, one of the two. Maybe they just need help, I don't know. But they're constantly feeling like I'm gonna not watch their back when all I've ever done in my life is watch their back. That's starting to call into question my love and loyalty for them as a parent. Now think about God as our Heavenly Father. We walk around with so much stress and fear and worry as if God isn't watching our back, as if God hasn't been there a thousand times when we didn't even know, if God has, as if God hasn't promised that he will take care of us and walk with us, that we're not alone in this world. Listen, when that worry creeps in, we gotta push back with worship. And remember who God is and what he's done. Look at the ravens. Look at the ravens. Now, for me in my life, I made one financial shift that changed how I looked at money fundamentally. And I think at its very core, it changed sort of how I related to God and how I related to stuff. And it had an effect on every other aspect of my financial life. So a Financial Peace University was one of the most important seminars that I ever went to personally to help me figure out how to manage money. Listen, what I'm about to tell you next is the single most important thing I ever did to change how I relate to money and to bring worship 
into the whole financial realm in my life. So when we get paid, uh, we tend to do this. We tend to see money kind of in this way, right? Uh, we tend to spend it, and then if there's any left over, we save it, and if there's any left over after that, we, we give it. And you know, for me, I'm pretty good at spending it. I don't have a problem there. I can, it can disappear fast, you know what I'm saying? So this is how I dealt with money for a long time in my life, and it's how many of us deal with money. I think the problem is, like, this doesn't align with any of our priorities. You spend it, and then it's all gone. And though you want to save for your future and for, uh, you know, what, uh, what your family needs in the future, you want to be generous and make an impact in the lives of others. You can't really do that because it just, you continue to spend it all at the very beginning. And the biggest shift I ever made in how I viewed money and stuff was to flip this script to what I believe is a more biblical perspective on kind of how you look at these categories and frameworks. And that is this. When I simply made this shift in my heart and in my mind, it changed the game. When I said, first, when I get paid, I'm going to give to God. Look, I'm, I'm not giving to God because he needs money. I'm not giving because the church needs money. I'm not I'm giving because God has taught in his word that I need the spiritual discipline of generosity and giving. In other words, I who need money am going to give part of my money that I need to God who doesn't need any money. Great. But the spiritual discipline of doing that teaches me to trust. It teaches me to depend. It teaches me to release. It reminds me that my heavenly father has my back and it's powerful in our lives. And so when you make a decision to give first, then you'll be empowered. You'll have a discipline in your life that will start to affect how you save and will start to affect how you spend. I would suggest to you that believers for dozens and dozens of generations have had a basic approach to finances, which you could call 10-10-80, to take the first 10% of what you're paid and to give that back to God, to take the second 10% and to save it for your future and to live on 80%. Now, I know some of you are like, dude, I can't live on 110%. How am I gonna live on 80%? But I wanna suggest to you, if you will reorder your priorities, it will start to change how you handle your stuff. I've done this for years in my life, and I have never gone without. God has always showed up. He's blessed me. He's provided for me more than I ever would have imagined. Personally, financially, in relationships, in friendships. And so this is a simple shift that brings worship into the area of money. A phrase that you see a lot in the Old Testament is this, to bring the first fruits. And the idea in an agricultural society was that people were to bring the very first of what God gave to them. And you think about it. You plant a harvest. The very first of the harvest comes in, and it's good, and that's what you're supposed to take to God. But you don't know if, you know, raiders aren't going to come through, or it's not going to hail, or people are going to invade and eat all your food. Like, you don't know that the rest of the harvest is going to come in. And that's the point. That's the faith step. You see, you take the first, and you bring that to God, and you trust him to, to supply the rest. And so I've often sort of lived by this principle that 90% with me and God is more than 100% on my own. So some of you, you've been trying to navigate your financial world for years and you find yourself right back in this place again and again. And I just wanna suggest if it's not working for you, this may be part of the issue for some of us in our lives. We just gotta flip how we approach money and stuff in our lives. When I started giving, it, it impacted. I, now I, I just jumped right off the high dive. I didn't like incrementally give. I just started giving 10%. I'm telling you, you chop 10% off your income, you're gonna get a saving and a spending plan really fast. 
You have to. But that's actually a blessing because it influenced how I looked at the rest of my stuff. We have a simple way that you can on-ramp into generosity and giving here at Central, even as low as like $20 a week or less, whatever God would lead you to do, but it's the way to start taking that step in your own spiritual life. And listen, it's not about the church. It's not about, look, at the end, it's about you. It's about your relationship with God. It's about you trusting him. So if you wanna take that step, all you need to do, you can go to our app, and you can sign up to be a generosity rock star right there. You can grab a card that's always in the seat back in front of you. You can go to the lobby, talk to somebody in a red apron, let them know you have questions, whatever, comments. Take that step of generosity in your life, flip that script in your life, and you'll be surprised how it will influence every other aspect of your life. And I think that's why Jesus says this. Luke chapter 12, let's bring it up, beginning of verse 31. Help me on the first word, what does he say? Seek, you see that? Seek. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. Put God first. Seek him above all else. You ever thought about this? You can seek a lot of things in your life. You can, uh, you can seek money first, and you'll never have enough. Right? You can seek security first, and you will never feel safe enough in your life. You can seek popularity first, and you will never be loved enough. If you seek accomplishment first, you'll never do enough. If you seek honor and recognition first, then you can never feel appreciated enough. If you seek thrills and excitement first, then you'll always struggle with boredom. If you seek status first, then you will always feel second class. If you seek power first, then you'll always be looking over your shoulder. Listen, if you seek beauty beauty and health and fitness first, then you're gonna be really frustrated by old age and illness and sickness. But when you seek God first, you not only get God, you get everything else you need in your life. And so take that worry and that fear about money, about marriage, about life, about stuff, about kids, about grandkids. Take all that stress and that pressure and push back with worship. And when it creeps into your life like it creeps into mine, we say, you know what, I'm not gonna just stand for that. I'm not just gonna walk around fretting about all these things I can't control. Worry says I'm alone, but worship says I'm never alone. Worry says that my, my worst days are what's coming, but worship says that my best days are still to come. Worry says that no matter what happens in my life, it will never be enough, but worship says God is already more than enough for me in my life. Listen. Worry says, I'll always be upside down, but worship says, because of Jesus, I'm already right side up. Worry says, things are never gonna move forward, but worship says, things have already moved forward, and just wait, they're gonna move forward even more. I gotta push back on my worry. I gotta push back on my fear. I gotta push back on all that anxiety with worship. Worship is my weapon to fight against worry. So when it comes to worry, do what you can do and then trust God to do what only he can do, right? Turn some of your concerns into action. Maybe for you it's FPU. Maybe for some of you it's, it's just starting to take some steps to track your spending, to figure out where everything's going so you can see really where you're at. Maybe for others of you, it's just making a commitment to say, I'm gonna lean in these next few weeks. I'm gonna take some notes. I'm gonna apply. Maybe for some of us, it's realizing that 
we've allowed a lot of things to encroach into our worries that we cannot control. And when you cannot control it, I think Jesus is saying, what's the point of worrying about it? Right? Can't even add a single hour to your life. So let it go. Just let it go. And then turn that worry into worship. Put God first in your family. Put him first in your spiritual life. Put him first in your finances. Put him first in every area of your life. Worship him. Trust him. Worship him. So I want to ask all of you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I just want to ask us, take that worry, take that stress, take that pressure. Let's just release it to God right now. Whatever's got you tied up in knots, just release it to God. God, I pray for each person here today, watching online, across our locations. I pray you will show up in their life right now. Fill them with peace. Bless them. Let them know they're not alone. Let them know you are moving and working. You're the God of miracles. You're the God of provision. And you can do a miracle in our lives today. And so we trust you. We call out to you. We pray to you. We believe that because of who you are, our best days are still to come. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's put our hands together now as Pastor Nick's going to come and share a final thought with us. God bless you guys. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Jed. Yes, I just need one quick second. We were given some great next steps that we could take if we want to see financial health in our lives today. So there's Financial Peace University that you can sign up for in the lobby. We've got a team ready to do that. Or if you want to become a generosity rock star, they're also able to help you take that next step today. We've got these awesome rescued to be a rescuer t-shirts. We want to give you one of those just as a way to mark this day because that's what you're doing. You're rescuing people. So make sure to go in the lobby, check them out. Get back next weekend. We have an incredible weekend in store, but between now and then, hold on to Romans 8. If God is for us, who could be against us? Keep showing up.